Log Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to another episode of A Sound Heart. Uh, Tonight, we're going to be studying from John chapter 4, John chapter 4. And for tonight, we're going to study the regenerative encounter with the woman at Jacob's well, well, uh, well. The regenerative encounter with the woman at Jacob's well. So with that, let us have a word of prayer. We do... Give you thanks, Heavenly Father, for this opportunity to study your word. We ask to be guided by your Holy Spirit as we study your Lord so that your spirit would open our understanding so that we might receive wonderful things out of thy law. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 4, verse 1 and following. But the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob, given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink, unquote? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, quote, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink, unquote? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. This is a very important statement that John has, has written for us. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, quote, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his flocks and herds, unquote. Jesus answered, quote, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life, unquote. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty 
and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, quote, go, call your husband and come back, unquote. She replied, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right. Say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Verse 19, quote, sir, the woman said, quote, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you, Jews, claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem, unquote. Jesus declared, quote, believe me, woman, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. I, I love the, the way Jesus speaks so directly. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. Worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us, unquote. Then Jesus declared, quote, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked. What do you want or why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the reapers draw, the reaper draws his wages. Even now, he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows as another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. 
Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Now, before I go on, I want to uh, explain to you this word believe that's used in the text uh, in John 4, and also uh, throughout John's gospel. Uh, the word is pistuo, pistuo. It means to believe. It means to trust. It also means reliance upon, not mere credence. So uh, it is the most frequently used in the writings of the Apostle John, specifically, as I stated uh, before, uh, the gospel. Uh, he does not use the noun. Now, Matthew uses the verb ten times, and Mark uses the verb ten times. Um, and uh, John uses pestuo 99 times. Also, uh, it is used in Acts 5.14 uh, in its present participle uh, of the word and is translated as believers there in Acts Acts five fourteen. So I want to go back uh, to the beginning of chapter four, and I want you to note the the sectarian message, uh, the religious message we have here. Uh, the, the the she is the Samaritan woman, and so. Uh, that is her identity. We're never given her name. We're never given a proper noun, but we are given this uh, this label uh, about her. She is the Samaritan woman. A, the indefinite oracle, a Samaritan woman. So uh, in chapter 3, we read about John's baptism. And in chapter 4, in verse 2, we read, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So this word, uh, baptism, uh, is not going to be used anymore in John's gospel until in Matthew 28:19. So in verse 4, uh, we read, quote, and now he had to go through Samaria. And so you know that Samaria, Samaria refers to the northern kingdom that was destroyed by the Assyrians in 722. And I want you to know in verse 5 the name of this town, Sychar. And so this name Sychar is uh, from a variation of the word Shechem. And it literally means drunk town or lying town, uh, Isaiah 2811. So, so that's a notorious a name for this particular town, drunk town or lying town. Um, so Paul even called a group of believers, a group of people, not believers, called them slow belly and, uh, and liars. So uh, these people had a, a, a particular, uh, this is where they live, how they live. And so Jesus points out some very poignant uh, realities to this woman, knowing how 
before he met her, her life lie, where she lived. She lived in lying town. And so uh, she was accustomed. She had become habituated to sin. She had become accustomed or habituated to a certain uh, pattern or way of being in her life. And her consciousness did not rise above that level. She was among those, uh, she lived among others who themselves were also what? Liars. Or they, they cohabitated in lying town. So you, may, you can go to 2 Kings 17 and read about the origin of, of the Samaritans. Again, it is the uh, Assyrian captivity, 721-722 B.C. And so uh, I want you to note that in uh, this chapter uh, with regard to, with the encounter with this woman, Jesus is skillful, he is sympathetic, and he is forceful. Note what we have about him in verse 6. Quote, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey. Now, notice what the, what John says about Jesus. And in the Greek, it reads uh, "tired." The verb "tired" or means uh, it means oppressed by fatigue. Oppressed by fatigue. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey. Now there are times as you you know as well as I, that we as believers get tired from the journey. And note that our Savior was tired as he was from the journey. There are times when, when believers are oppressed by fatigue. But I want you to absorb that reality. And still... Uh, and we read that he sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And so he sat down because he was oppressed by fatigue. Uh, the strain of ministry. Uh, ministry is not easy. So uh, this is the setting for this encounter with this woman. And if the And John will note in verse 8 that Jesus had sent his disciples into the town to buy food uh, because he knew what was going to happen. And so uh, he sent them on a mission while he attended this mission. They were not spiritually ready yet for this. Now, note, the woman said herself, uh, for Jews uh, do not associate with the Samaritans. But Jesus stepped over this uh, this uh, religious boundary. Uh, his ministry was not limited by a religious boundary. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The gift of God is Jesus for the entire world. Jesus died for all. 
And so in verse 7, we read, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? And so the woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Now, she points out this distinction, and it's interesting that she points this out. (laughs) She points out to Jesus who he is. You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. Uh, There is no association between us. Now, when the Samaritans... uh, when the Assyrians took over the northern kingdom, they purposely uh, led the people of the northern kingdom out, and they intermarried and interbred and became a part of of other cultures. Now, uh, heretofore or before that, the northern kingdom had already uh, was already in uh, the last stages of apostasy. So they had been practicing uh, the religious uh, paganism before their the final destruction in 722. So, but now the Assyrians had come down and scattered them about. So there's intermarriage and the interbreeding. So we had they became the Samaritans. Second Kings 17. So uh, you are a Jew. And uh, that doesn't limit Jesus, that designation. And I am a Samaritan. That designation also does not limit Jesus. See, Jesus is being led by the Spirit of God. And uh, now, and Jacob's well uh, uh, was hollowed out of uh, what we call alluvial ground and not rock. And so this well was nine feet in diameter and about 100 feet deep. And so this well was also lined with masonry. And so a researcher named Claudel uh, descended uh, into this well well in 1694. And another researcher, a Bible researcher named Wilson, descended the well in 1843. Now, in order to retrieve water, the people used uh, animal skin, an animal skin basket, and it was kept open by three sticks, and it was lowered into the well by a goat skin rope. So uh, this was about the sixth hour, and so uh, this was late. And Jesus broke social protocol by talking to this woman. And note the way she she addresses him. Uh, she calls him sir uh, in verse 11, and she calls him sir in verse 15. She calls him sir in verse, in verse 19. And uh, he gradually, as it were, revealed reveals himself to her. And so Jesus is going to intrude upon her lifeline. He is going to expose her sin. And when he does that, she becomes defensive and flippant. But all secrets must come out before 
Jesus. All the lies confessed and given up. Remember, she lived in a town called Lying Town. And so he's going to expose her uh, to herself. So, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so with this statement, uh, he creates interest in her. Sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Remember, it is about 100 feet deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well? And drink? remember, uh, she's a Samaritan and he's a Jew who gave us the well and drank from it himself as also did his sons and his flocks and herds. And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty. But whoever drinks the water I give, I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, Jesus is talking about, he's speaking of the spirit. And the spirit uh, is is pictured as water. And Notice, uh, he uses concrete imagery uh, because the, the Jews are concrete thinkers. And so he says living water. And the water that I give, uh, him, he will, will never thirst. So he knows her, her deep essential need. He knows her need. And so now he speaks to her uh, in a very skillful manner. And uh, so now uh, the conversation will take a turn. Verse 16, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. I have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, why would she go so far? Uh, that, there was a well uh, in town. And so uh, she went out to this well because of her reputation, because of who she was, because of what people knew about her. And so she was avoiding uh, the criticism and the accusing eyes of the community by going out to this well. And notice what notice what sin does. Uh, the out uh, the the individual becomes an outcast because of sin. And notice the shame that is associated with one of the symptoms of sin: the shame. Uh, and so she goes out here. And uh, she meets Jesus. And so now Jesus uh, will go in and, act and say something else to her. Give me this water, verse 16. And so he, in verse 16, he exposes her. 
Go, call your husband, come back. And so <laughs> the woman, uh, interestingly, she doesn't lie, and she said to him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. In fact, now Jesus goes in and he, and he exposes more about her. In fact, you have had five husbands. The man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now, I want you to know the detailed knowledge that Jesus has uh, has of this woman's life. Jesus has detailed knowledge about lives. He knows everything about us. You are right. What you have just said is quite true. And so, uh, and, and so this is fascinating because she is from Sychar. She is from Lying Town. And so, uh, so the truth uh, is coming out. And so uh, Jesus intrudes upon her life lie. He intrudes upon her. He exposes her sin. She becomes defensive and flippant. But he exposes all her secrets. Sir, verse 19, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. So now the conversation moves from uh, addressing him as sir to prophet. So with exposure and confession comes a deeper Revelation. So, verse 20, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews, and notice the language, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So, there's this uh, distancing language. Why? Uh, she is smarting from the exposure of uh, of her most uh, intimate secrets. So she is smarting from that. And uh, this is her response. You Jews. So she, she uses the distancing language. Uh, verse 21, Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans, and notice what he says back to her. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. Uh, you can pull out a, a book on the history of Western Asia uh, and read about some of the pagan rituals that the Samaritans were involved with. Uh, there's also a ton of information on the artifacts uh, that were found uh, after the Assyrians uh, erased Samaria and what the people were doing. So uh, very interesting. And in fact, they had begun naming their children uh, pagan names uh, in alignment with the, uh, their paganism and the pagan deities they worship. 
and uh, their behavior uh, was, uh, was was truly atrocious. It was, it was terrible. So, 23, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So, and now, so Jesus has moved uh, moved the uh, this encounter ever deeper. So, he wants to argue place and Jesus uh, speaks of possession and Jeremiah 31 uh, when believers will be given will be given a new heart and Jesus spoke about this also in John chapter 3 when he spoke with Nicodemus uh, about the new heart and what God is going to be doing for his people so uh, in John 3, Jesus speaks about regeneration. In John 4, Jesus has this uh, encounter with this woman, and so I have called it the regenerative encounter because he is moving her out from herself. He is moving her out from defending her sins to confession of her sins so that she might be free. If we confess our sins, he is what? He is faithful. He is and just to forgive us a fame that is to send off from us, to send out and away from us our sin. And to cleanse us, remember, all sin leaves a wound. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus cleanses the wounds left by sin cleanses them, not atones for. You will not find the word atonement in the New Testament. It is a wonderful theological word, atonement. Some have called it at one mint uh, because of the, the, the prophecies that look forward to the coming of, of Messiah Jesus, that is, to to reconcile us, to bring us back to God, to redeem us, to buy us, to purchase us out of the slave market of sin. We were not, as Peter wrote, we were not redeemed with corruptible things like gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. Uh, so this is this is very very powerful, and uh, I don't want you to miss. Uh, what is going on here because Jesus uh, met this woman in order to save her and so uh, the exposure is not merely to shame of her sin is not to shame her but uh, to do what first John 1 9 the word confess means not merely to tell God about our sins it means homologeo it means to agree with God that we have sinned. She must agree with God that she has sinned. Confession in the New Testament doesn't mean, well, I'm going to tell God about it. No, it means I agree with God. I agree with his estimate of my sin. 
And because I agree with his estimate of my sin and what it is and what it does, what it has done to my life, I confess. I Now I, I tell God, you know, I, I, uh, what sin has done. Okay? So Jesus said that uh, the time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. He points back to the Father. Why? Because the Father has sent him. I come to do the will of him who has sent me, who has sent me off. So Jesus is the first apostle. He is the first sent one. And so this is the Father's will. Now notice he has spoken of, he has been called Messiah, and he speaks of the, speaks of the, uh, of the Father in John, John 4. So we have the Holy Trinity. And again, the key word in John's gospel is pistuo, belief. So, verse 24, God is spirit. This is very important. God is not material substance. God is not material essence. That would limit uh, the divine essence. God is spirit. Okay? Jesus said, a spirit hath not flesh and bone. He said this to his disciples in his uh, uh, one of his post-resurrection, uh, post-passion appearances, and, uh, and he manifested himself to them. And please keep in mind that the resurrection body of Jesus was different. It was qualitatively different from the body he had prior to his passion crucifixion. So he had a brand-new resurrection body. Okay, his resurrection body is prototype for us. We, too, will inherit what? A resurrection body. And it will, our bodies, our resurrection bodies will be like unto his glorious body. So we have wonderful blessings now and wonderful blessings uh, uh, in the future to come to us because we are one with him. So God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and what? In truth. So the secular, uh, the secular religions, the cults, the philosophies, uh, uh, the false gnosis, uh, the false teachings of the Pharisees, the false teaching of the Sadducees, the false political philosophy of the Herodians, um, the the commentaries uh, of the rabbis uh, that Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shemaiah taught during the time of Jesus, uh, and Jesus never quoted from the Mishnah. Uh, Jesus never quoted from any authoritative, uh, the authoritative writings of the rabbis. He only taught what? Thus saith the Lord. He taught uh, uh, the word of the Lord. Now, there are those who believe that Jesus uh, spoke Aramaic and some think he spoke Greek, but it seems from the text that Jesus spoke Aramaic uh, and because the, the, the scholars, uh, only the scholars during Jesus' day spoke uh, Hebrew. It, it had been lost to the people, but the scholars knew Hebrew and they taught uh, their people uh, from the text, but uh, Jesus 
spoke uh, uh, Aramaic. Okay. So he, he spoke that in the, in, in the Aramaic tongue. So um, verse 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah, Paul Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain thing to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. So, sir, 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 and then prophet, and now Messiah. He gradually revealed himself to her. And her life changed. Notice this the genuineness of the encounter. The woman, after the exposure of her sin, did not seek to hold on to her sin. The woman was thirsty. And so uh, Jesus gave to her living water. She was tired of the lie. She had had how many husbands? And now the man she was with uh, presently was not her husband. She was tired. And notice, I'm going to go back uh, to verse 6. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he, as he was from the journey. She was tired as it was from the journey. She was oppressed by fatigue. She wanted something different. She wanted a brand new life. And what did Jesus provide by telling the truth to her? You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We Jews worship that uh, which we know. I, verse 26, I who speak to you am he, or I am. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised by him talking with a woman again. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now notice, before her encounter with Jesus, her life-changing, regenerative encounter with Jesus, she would not go to town. She went uh, to Jacob's well, which was out of town. Now she goes in filled with living water in her heart, and she goes to the people of the town, the very ones she wanted to avoid, and she says to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now, everyone in this town was thirsty. They knew her. They had their settled conclusions about who and what she was. But there was something different about her presence now. There was something different about her energy and her body language and the Spirit of God was now in her heart. And so when she spoke to them, the Spirit drew 
the people to himself through her witness. So he left uh, her water jar, and she got living water. Verse 28, she left her water jar, and she got living water. And so she went to town to speak to the people. They came out of the town and made their way to him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. This is their perception. This is their understanding. They have no idea of what has transpired. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So he says to his own, I have food to eat. He says to the woman who did not know God, that I have living water for you. Now, notice, what is the difference? The Spirit of God, uh, with her he spoke about, he spoke the message of regeneration. With his own, he speaks of food because believers need to be nourished in the word. We need to grow up in the word. We need to be fed the food of eternal life, and that is God's word. We feast, we feed on the word. And as we do, we grow. Uh, we grow in, in Christ. She said to, she asked the people, "Could this be the Christ?" They came out uh, and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples said, "You need to eat." Verse thirty-three. Then his disciples said to each other, "Could someone have brought him food?" My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Weary as he was in the journey, weary as he was in the journey, always kept his eye on what? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish, to do and to finish his work. That should be the words, that should be in the hearts of every believer. We are to do the word of God. We are to do the will of God and to finish his work that he has for us. I know you get tired. I know you get weary because of the journey. I know you get oppressed by fatigue. But the spirit refreshes us and makes all things new for us. Do you you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the field. They are ripe for harvest. What has happened to evangelism in the church? Where, where's the practice of evangelism? I have some old books in my library, one by, uh, by Louis Schaefer called True Evangelism. And we use that book. I studied that book uh, at Bible school before I went to seminary, True Evangelism. I took a course in seminary on evangelism, and it wasn't evangelism. The course that I took was taken from, taken from a marketing program. And I told the professor, I said, this isn't publishing the Evangelion. This, is, this is, isn't about the charisma. This is marketing. We are not to market Jesus. We're to publish the good news. The model is given us in the book of Acts. We go out into a world that is dead in trespasses and sins, and we share the gospel. We don't market the good news. There's no mandate in the word to market the good news. 
Jesus himself shows us in this chapter, in this encounter with this woman, of what it means to what? To put the, the charisma, the message, the good news. He is the good news. Good evening and God bless you.